You are listening to the Contemplative Motherhood Podcast. My name is Chelsea. I'm a teacher, practitioner, spiritual director, and pilgrim. And I'm Erin, a creative, homeschool educator, counselor, and spiritual seeker. Listen in as we dive deeper into the contemplative lifestyle through hearing about each of our lives. You'll hear our triumphs, failures, practices, and mistakes as we journey together. You might even hear a kid or two in the background. So grab some coffee, tea, curl up, and take off your shoes. You are welcome here. Now let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome back, friends, to the Contemplative Motherhood Podcast. I am Erin Thomas, and I am here with my co-host and dearest friend, Chelsea Whipple. Hi, friend. Hello. Good to be with you again. I know. Long time no see. (laughs) There's so much there, you guys. We have actually are doing a Mm -hmm. two-part series. I want to say series, but it's just an episode um, on (laughs) Amarabia. Um, And so we just finished part one, and we are excited to move into part two. So just to give kind of a recap, um, we've discussed a little bit about Amarabia's background and we have touched on many of the teachings and uh, just beautiful, beautiful stances that she had. Um, and so the last concept that we touched on primarily by just listening to her poetry is how she desired not that her emotions would be swung about and how she moved throughout the day, but that a greater awareness in would be with her and all that surrounds her. And so we asked you guys and challenged you to dwell on that for a bit. Um, This is pretty much our concept of what we reiterate here on the podcast, right? We are... (laughs) Different words, but it's all the same. (laughs) Exactly. We are seeking to be present with the divine and here in her beautiful language with the beloved and yet still present in our lives and motherhood. And that's hard. Um, I want to say that she probably maybe have had a little bit of less distractions, (laughs) but, you know, being that it's so early on and not a ton of writings that we have to look back to, um, you know, who knows? We don't know what she dealt with during her time. Um, we only have snapshots and beautiful poetry that has been passed down for us. So bridging back to Ama Rabia. Chelsea, our resident historian, (laughs) can you share with us a little bit more about maybe her teachings and how within her teachings and, you know, I mean, within Sufism, what are these things that she really focused on in her life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot of her writings talk about prayers. <clears throat> and what prayer meant to her and how she would pray. You know, we read one with a poem, you know, that would be considered a prayer. And she really taught about um, val- uh, what kind of value prayer is in someone's life, you know, to find this unity with the beloved. <clears throat> so she stressed that suppl- supplication. So, you know, when we kind of have supplication in our prayers, we're asking for something or for someone or for ourselves. She said, never entered her talks with the beloved Hmm. because the goal for her is union. And and I will say this for myself, for myself as well, is union with the beloved. 
So if the goal is union, then our hearts with God, with the beloved, our beloved, are one already. So prayers, she would talk about, is conversing with the beloved, having conversations with the beloved. And prayers are actions. You know, we saw that with Alma Mariam. Prayers are poems, songs, silence, all the conversations that go in our head, our wonderings, our rabbit hole trails that we often go on, at least I do, (laughs) with people and in my head. Intentional longings are also prayers. Prayers are our emotions. Prayers are conversations with friends. You know, on this podcast, prayers are what the words that come out of Aaron and I's mouth. You know, when we're with our kids, our prayers, you know, all the words that slip from our mouth. Because the beloved and I are one. So those conversations, those actions that we do, those emotions that spring up are our prayers. I love this because this really brings life to this concept. Um, And I know that many of us, if you're listening, you may um, be from a variety of backgrounds. And so your view on prayer um, may be different than mine. And what's so beautiful about Amara um, Rabia's just concept of this is that it felt like she has sort of an intimate communion with God that is just like this continual conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's sort of what's going on here? Yeah. So, you know, cause often, you know, depending on who you are, again, I'll give an example of myself. You know, I, I memorized a lot of prayers. Um, like, uh, I had to memorize prayers in order to honestly go to the next grade in my school. And so I have a lot of prayers memorized. So in my mind growing up, it's like prayers are these certain set of words that are said to, you know, said to God. And that is fine. And that is prayers. Right. But what she's bringing to the surface that has really helped me in my own life is to know that every act of what I do is prayer because the beloved and I are one. Because mm-hmm. the beloved rests in my being. So sitting down to have an intentional time with the beloved is a prayer. Walking with my feet up the stairs, carrying a huge basket of laundry, hoping it doesn't fall all over the place while balancing a kid dragging behind me is also my prayer. So that is just profound and has made a huge impact in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I want to share another poem from her that kind of highlights this unity and how she expressed it. So she says, <clears throat> In love, nothing exists between breast and breast. Speech is born out of longing. True description from the real taste. The one who tastes knows. The one who explains lies. How can you describe the true form of something in whose presence you are blotted out, in whose being you still exist, 
and who lives as a sign for your journey. Wow. There's so much imagery there. And I feel like she was a profoundly gifted communicator. Um, And I know that we're really only scratching the surface here. And we really only scratched the surface in part one. But Mm -hmm. to kind of bridge a little bit, friend, I am interested in getting some of your personal feedback. How does this sit with you? Like, where are you with this um, information and with this beautiful lens that we're looking through right now? How are you feeling with all of it? And mm-hmm. if, can you share that with us a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I knew that she was someone that we should profile because she has made such a hu- huge impact in the faith world. And the way that she dis- she has this ability to describe, um, you know, the ultimate reality as beloved, which is such a key term. You know, we've talked about in, in other episodes and, you know, in season one, two, about these terms that we use for, you know, the divine and how they all mean something. And so to call the divine beloved means something. And so mm-hmm. she's such a unique figure an early figure to have really understood what beloved means. But also at the same time, because of the century she's living in, it can be very hard to understand those teachings. Hmm. And it's like you're really kind of mining, what does this mean in my modern day world that's not surrounded by this culture Um you know, how can I understand exactly what she means by these poems or, you know, what the intention was? And even the words, and if you, if you read, there's some beautiful books about her that we will post on our after the show, um, you know, blog, is that they can be kind of conflicting and they can challenge how we perceive the world. And that's the most, that's the hardest, again, is that Eastern viewpoint of having to remember this is a communal view instead of an individual view, even if she writes what we are thinking is from an individual view, because she writes between her and the beloved, it's still this idea of this communal viewpoint. And so you kind of have to keep checking yourself on what that means. Mm -hmm. And there's one such teaching about gratitude that I really kind of struggled with. And Erin, I really want to pitch this to you because I think you have an amazing perception of gratitude in relation to suffering. And I think Amma Rabia is the same. And mm-hmm. I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on how Amma Rabia talked about gratitude in connection. She connected it with patience. And how do you see that relationship between gratitude in the midst of suffering? Yeah, gracious, no pressure here. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> you got it, girl. Um, so much there, and I'm uh, there's so much to chew on here, and I I kind of want to encourage you to, um, if you're listening, you know we've touched on some of her teachings, but um, in order to familiarize yourself with some of the language that we're using. Uh, I, I, I want to put a plug for season one <laughs> because we definitely did touch on gratitude there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but I want to go deep with this for a second. So 
maybe you're listening in your car or maybe you need to pause and wait until you're able to process and sit with this um, concept of gratitude um, that I want to share with you a more deeper personal experience. And so when I was reading about Ama Rabia and her concept of gratitude, there is so much there because there are so many terms that she even used in her writings that I resonate with deeply. And so without giving a large life story, I can say with a very large certainty that the depth of this connection of gratitude and suffering runs extremely deep for me personally. Um, we always on this podcast want to give you a way in some insight and in how this applies to your life story. And so here we are um, with this sort of concept. And so I want to share with you a bit of a personal experience. I think in reality, many of us have been at this crossroads. Um, and I want to explain that a little bit more because crossroads tends to be a, a term that's used frequently um, in all kinds of different um, contexts. But where we ultimately find ourselves in tragedy or suffering, we often find you know, whether it's from a string of choices or a result of a, being a victim of trauma in any form, you really kind of define what that means to you, okay? Um, I can't tell you what your trauma or um, your choices or what your life um, event was. Um, that really is a definition that's left up to you. But I want to talk a little bit about this process and that um, Ama Rabia did an amazing job of sort of connecting this. And for us, when we experience trauma or tragedy, um, which happens frequently in our lives just as humans, there's a, a process that happens with us internally. And so after tragedy, there is what we could, would consider a fork in the road, both spiritually and possibly physically for a lot of us. Um, I know that sounds like a philosophizing definition, um, and I don't want to really generalize, but for a lot of us, a significant suffering experience completely changes the trajectory of our future. It changes the way we view everything. Um, it changes how we do this process. We have to make perhaps intentional choices. Some of them may be emotionally or physically, some of them spiritually. And this word that I love to use is that we come to a point where we have to do an inventory, as I like to say. And it's really like we're being assessed at the scene. Uh, I get this imagery of just like, I survived this. I know I'm standing here. Um, but I'm at triage. Like, what is left? Where am I? And so whenever this point comes for you in your life, um, just as you've seen this theme over and over again with our spiritual amas, um, we might find ourselves asking questions about what we believe and why we believe it. And that's just a reality there is really a cognitive dissonance that happens for a lot of us, like an internal struggle, right? Um, 
So you may hear the term deconstruction, which I sort of have mixed feelings about, um, but that's another episode for another day. Um, But deconstructing is really just a way of describing that there is a time for pretty much all of us at some point in our lives where we have to sort through what we think and what we believe. And there is a fear context surrounding this process. And I want to say out loud, like, that's okay. It's okay for this process to have some fear attached with it. Um, I'll be frank with you and say we have to be careful, though, not to polarize this process. Sifting and sorting through the waters of contemplative life at very many points in your life um, is absolutely a a life-changing experience. And it's not meant to rip us out of these peaceful waters. So to give you an example, in a, two, a, two years ago, um, I lost a child. And there was, as you can imagine, a very sorting and sifting that occurred. And I want to explain that this tragedy wasn't transactional to me. I could not, for the life of me, reconcile my suffering in this intellectual sense, right? Through thought processes and reasoning, and I could barely understand my emotions. If you've been through grief, trauma, tragedy, major life events, you know that grief just does this naturally. We all have this experience in some way, in some form. So I want to give you a little bit of a visual And we've talked a little bit about what this flipping upside down looks like. And this is just a different context. Um, It's almost like a Jenga tower. I don't know if you're a Jenga player. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) it depends on your age. Gracious. I don't even know, Chels. How old is that game? (laughs) I think it's still around. Right? Okay. Okay. So maybe it's being remodeled. I'm not showing too much of my age here. Um. But to give you a visual, a lot of times when this sort of process happens, when we see the suffering and we see um, that this particular event and life-changing experience flips our life upside down, it's like a Jenga tower. And these are the blocks of our human life. They are our experiences. They are our heart. They are our soul. They are things that we have learned and unlearned. They are relationships. They are so much. And as we begin to reconstruct, to place these intentional blocks of our life back in some sort of working order, we are deciding what to keep and what to place aside. And we find sometimes that figurative tower might lean differently. I say frequently that I'm really certain And I know that this is kind of an interesting concept, but I am just so certain that my heart beats differently now since experiencing the loss of a child. And so maybe you have an experience like this. Maybe it's a relationship, the loss of a family member, a heartache, an event that caused your heart to beat differently. And thus, our union with the beloved shifts and it takes a different shape. And different, again, is not bad. It's just that. It's different. And so 
we have different language and contemplative circles that we use for this, right? But really, this can either drown out our belief in the beloved by pulling us in so many different directions, or it can give us union that is an outside of our own abilities. And so our reconstruction of block by block, step by step, we build But these blocks are intentional acts of gratitude. Mm. I am thankful for this. And we may literally, in a physical or metaphorical sense, be dragging some of these blocks. Some of them may feel heavier than they used to. But they are built by a posture of gratitude that comes from a deep inner work and grit. And this is what we are seeing in these amas. So as we go on and continue with life, and even though it's not the same as it once was, I think we'll find that the blocks just begin to feel lighter as we express gratitude more and more and more. It becomes an overflow of our exchanges with the Beloved. And I think this is what Amarabia is really talking about in connection with gratitude. So I want to connect this a bit for us just a little bit. Um, Throughout this series, we are continuing to see that suffering changes the way in which we move forward. It changes the way we interact with the beloved. And these Amas, despite profound stories... There are also many of us who are experiencing that as well. It changes how we interact with people. It changes the way we respond to the beloved. And I have to just kind of give a sidebar that this is a term, beloved is a term that I love. (laughs) Um, But for the reason that our hearts beat differently, yet hopefully a feeling with depth that wasn't as anchored before, this gratitude that we have allows our hearts to beat differently. And as a result, there's a depth there that is a communion with the beloved that wasn't present perhaps before. And so in this process of deconstruction or reconstruction, when our external circumstances do not meet like this patient, peaceful posture (laughs) of our heart internally, you know, we can intentionally practice building gratitude in the deep, spaces of our heart stories. And these heavy blocks that are at the bottom of this tower, they're at the bottom of the tower for a reason. Through this process, the building becomes lighter. Our endurance grows. Our character grows. Our journey takes different steps. And as a result, we find that gratitude is a practice that joy is something that exudes from us from these intentional processes. So I hope I haven't lost you with that, but I wanted to share specifically about gratitude from that posture because in reality, I think a lot of us don't always know how to approach this gratitude practice. Mm -hmm. And Ama Rabia had just such a unique viewpoint on this. And so as we build our blocks up with things that we are deeply connected with and things that have shaped our 
world and have changed how our heart beats. As a result, we can just be profoundly grateful for the joy that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you set this up perfectly, you know, because sometimes when you talk about gratitude, you know, you see it as being thankful. Right. Gratitude is so much more than just being thankful because it's like kind of that deeper level because, you know, when you brought the connection to gratitude in the midst of suffering Mm -hmm. and, you know, just to bring this back to Alma Rabia and how she talked about gratitude and its connection to patience you know, which is mothers and caretakers can be something, you know, of an eternal act of love. (laughs) Yes. I don't want to overlook the fact that she had, you know, she connected gratitude as something that is the ultimate practice. Hmm. And to make sure that we understand that gratitude and suffering can be connected as well, I think is important for people to hear. Yeah. And, you know, so for her, gratitude produces joy. Joy can look different if you're happy or if you're sad. Yes. And again, joy does not equal happy. Right. And so the way she talks about it, I want us to remember that joy does not equal happy because you can still feel joy. It's just a different type of joy and sadness. And if you've really ever gone through, it's only if you've gone through suffering, which I think everybody has gone through some sort of suffering, whether it's yeah a lot or even just a little, there's always been some sort of suffering in there. So I think you can kind of understand that. Um, so for her, you know, gratitude produces joy and it produces joy in both the giver and the receiver, whether that's two people, whether that's you and the beloved. So when we give... We are sending not only that act, but the feeling and faith with the gift. And when we receive, we not only receive that act, but the feeling and faith that came with the gift. And so the patience also is we connect gratitude with patience. And I always have to bring it back to you know, with our kids, for example, because you feel a lot more grateful when you're acting, you know, using the act of patience with it. So my kids, for example, I have a lovely, lovely child. (laughs) I love that preface. (laughs) Who wants to take honoriness to a higher level. So he's not my oldest and he competes with my oldest because he wants to kind of he wants that sense of responsibility that, you know, the oldest one gets, he wants to kind of be faster than the oldest one. You know, he's kind of always compares himself with the oldest. And so it's like, he's like, I got to be more honorary than the oldest too. And so for him, it's like, I can understand the connection with patience when it comes to gratitude, because it takes him longer to kind of sit still and, you know, listen and all those things. So it's like if I keep holding on to that patience, the depth of my gratitude is so remarkably deeper when he meets that goal, you know, or 
does something, even when he's not ornery, like I can feel that effect. <laughs> but I'm kind of going off on a tangent of how it kind of personally applies to me. But And so her idea was that gift is not the one to be in awe of or to feel grateful for, not the gift. But it's the giver who your joy comes from, who that gratitude really comes from. And to focus on the giver rather than the receiving process itself. Right. And, you know, she talks about gratitude as really a lifetime activity. So she writes a lot about prayer and she writes a lot about gratitude. And so when we turn inward with our beloved, that sense of gratitude rises without knowledge or sentiment. It just becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of our being. Exactly. And in turn, you know, we realize the relationship to love and that love and gratitude are so closely linked together. And it doesn't discount suffering again, but because, you know, suffering and gratitude are interlinked together as well. Yeah. I really, I have to say that because the interject here, because that, that is a deep overwhelming love and union with the beloved um like to even have an understanding of that 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 gratitude is a love and union with the beloved Mm -hmm. i love that so so much Mm -hmm. (laughs) can you give us a little bit more please (laughs) and i want i want to leave us with this as as we wrap up you know the this episode is the idea of the connection of union with the beloved in a communal worldview. So when we start to live in this union of belovedness, you know, we start to see others alongside of us in this act of love. When we live as our words are conversing with the beloved, no matter if it's a store clerk we are speaking with or our children as we put them to bed, So take a moment and really think about the richness of this act. So the beauty of finding the beloved in the midst of chaos, you know, finding the beloved in your most terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, (laughs) you know, the very act of worship becomes our to-do list, our laundry that's always needing to be done, the tears that need to be dried the heartache and pain of those that suffer, you know, the joy of finding that missing sock. Okay. All the praise hands for that. The missing sock. Yeah. <laughs> that is where the beloved is. I and believe. The beloved it. is in those very acts. And that's what Amarapia teaches us. So everyone is the beloved. And turning inward to ourselves and finding the beloved, there can then spread the beloved to every corner of this earth. And that can be our challenge for the week. Oh, goodness. This is so good, my friend. There has been a lot here. And so thank you for walking us through the life of this beautiful, poetic Amarabia. I feel like I'm even more solidified in this path and to looking, you know, just forward to hearing more stories of our historical 
and our modern day Amas. Mm. So I'm going to close us with a last poem to soak in and live out from Amma Rabia. You have infused my being through and through, as an intimate friend must always do. So when I speak, I speak only of you. And when silent, I yearn for you. Thanks so much for joining us for part two of Amarabia's story, and we will see you soon. Thank you again for joining us today on the Contemplative Motherhood Podcast with us, your hosts, Aaron Thomas and Chelsea Whipple. To get regular updates on our podcast, hear new episode drops, interact with us, and find our show notes, go to our website, www.contemplativemotherhood.org. There you can also sign up for our newsletter. As always, we appreciate your support of this podcast and in helping us share our journey with others. We invite you to regularly check our blog. Our after-show blog posts will allow you to dive deeper on the content shared on an episode. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. This helps us to cross paths with other Pogo Mamas across the board. Until next time.